You're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Hey, this promises to be fun. Can't wait. But it's college basketball that will begin this version of the program. And um, I need to say this. I said yesterday what I expected from Duke was them to press Michigan State. Well, Michigan State beat them to it. I invoke a little bit of Ron White, and I said that if you want to beat Michigan State, you got to force them to make mistakes. Well, the exact opposite happened as Michigan State picked up the win, and six-rated Duke is going to tumble probably out of the top 10. Michigan State's probably going to rise in the top 10. And again, as I started to a moment ago, and I'll invoke him now, Ron White said that when I said uh, you have to force Michigan State to make mistakes, Ron White said, quote, that's profiling, and profiling is wrong. Oh, boy, was I wrong. I have never seen a well, I take that back. Yes, I have. I have seen Duke ha- come out flat. But the last time I saw them come out completely flat like this, especially to start the second half, a fellow named Zion Williamson was playing for them, and he blew his shoe out. He blew his foot out of his shoe, which led to a very horrible injury. Meanwhile, North Carolina takes care of business against Stanford. Well, you had had to figure that UNC, and I said this yesterday, has a lot to prove, and they still have a lot to prove, and they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, a big chip on their shoulder, because they were under 500 last year. They lost 20 games instead of winning 20 games. They actually lost 19. And, you know, they have a lot to prove, and they got the they got the fellows to do it. But back to Duke for just a moment. I'm going to be jumping back and forth here. If you're the Duke Blue Devils, there is one name you're going to get sick of hearing, and that name you're going to get sick of hearing is Rocket Watts. How many times did I see Rocket Watts just absolutely blow by Duke defenders and get to the basket? I mean, they just... I'll say it again. Duke came out flat. Never mind the fact that they don't have the biggest advantage in college basketball which are the Cameron crazies it's a weird season and you got to come out ready to play and Duke wasn't Michigan State led virtually the entire way start to finish I mean the score the final score was 75 to 69 but don't let that score fool you don't let it fool you Michigan State led Duke back in the game but they put that game they put that game away early in the second half they have they put it away early and the sad thing is and i hope this is not true this just may become a trend 
you know, to have Duke come out flat like this in their own house against a ranked opponent. They're going to see more ranked opponents because Duke is one of the few teams that schedules ranked opponents all throughout the season. And what I saw last night is my biggest takeaway. Duke in the second half came out flatter than a pancake, and it cost them. It absolutely cost them. And they need to fix what they need to fix those problems in a hurry. Coach Krzyzewski should be, well, hell, I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you're Duke and you're perennially, no, perennially known for competing for national championships, just as Tom Izzo is, and you let Tom Izzo get the best of you at Cameron Indoor Stadium, fans or no fans, Mike Krzyzewski should be embarrassed. And he should be a little pissed off, too. You can have every excuse in the book. And believe me, there are a few of them for this college basketball season as we look to get not only to Greensboro for the ACC tournament, but to Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. But be that as it may, I know both of these coaches very well, and they want to win every game possible to have as much momentum going into the NCAA tournament, going into their respective conference tournaments, the Big Ten and the ACC. And if I know Coach Krzyzewski from my hometown of Chicago as well as I do for that kind of performance, even though they only lost by six, I wouldn't be surprised if Coach Krzyzewski ran those guys. I would not be surprised if he was, to use three words, highly pissed off. I wouldn't be surprised if he was highly pissed off after what happened last night at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Wake Forest canceled their afternoon game today versus Troy due to COVID concerns at Wake Forest. From the AD John Curry comes this statement, quote, our top priority is the health and safety of our student athletes. And given the significant increase in COVID-19 infections, both in Forsyth County and throughout North Carolina, this is the right decision, close quote. Their next game is against Presbyterian on December the 13th. I'm going to have Connor O'Neill on later to talk about not just this, but the Wake Forest game getting moved up. Now, to North Carolina beating Stanford. Stanford, I mean, North Carolina has a lot. They got a lot to prove, man. They got a lot to prove. Even though they are they are ranked in the preseason, they are... Coming out like gangbusters right now. And believe me, they are coming out like gangbusters. They got a four-point win at the Camping World Maui Invitational. Leaky Black had a big driving basket with 62 seconds left, followed by a clinching free throw with five seconds left as they held off Stanford 67-63 in yesterday's semifinals. And they play this tournament in Asheville, North Carolina. Caleb Love, the fabulous freshman, scored 16 points as the Tar Heels are 3-0. and And the problem that I have with Wake Forest, with, uh, Wake Forest, with uh, North Carolina, they turned the ball over 24 times. 
Leaky Black said, quote, I feel like we're battle tested. I feel like we've been through everything we can possibly go through last year. And I felt like we got some guys that's willing to learn and to fight when the going gets tough. And that's all you can ask for. Close quote. Last year, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, Mark, the first losing season of Roy Williams's career, a Hall of Fame coach. And a lot of that included giving up numerous second-half leads, seven of those losses by four points or fewer. They blew a 10-point lead in the final two minutes of regulation against Clemson to lose in overtime for its first-ever loss in Chapel Hill to the Tigers. Couple that with blowing a 13-point lead in the final four and a half minutes of regulation in an OT loss to Duke. Neither team yesterday led by more than three in the final six and a half minutes until Leaky Black's late free throw. Roy Williams said, quote, I loved how we just kept trying to make it ugly, but at the same time kept competing. Close quote. Stop there. There is your difference. There is your difference between last year's North Carolina team and this year's North Carolina team. Last year's North Carolina team kind of coasted and then ran into a brick wall called the ACC called actually the brick wall was called choking away games that they led. I'll repeat the stat that I just said a moment ago. Seven of the games that they lost last year by four points or fewer. Clemson beat them in the Dean Dome for the first time ever. And then they choke away another another double-digit lead in a loss to Duke. That was last year. This is this year. Biggest takeaway from this game versus Stanford, North Carolina's fight. The fight of the Tar Heels. They said, you know what? This is not going to be a case of here we go again. This is going to be us pulling together, pulling for each other, grinding together and grinding for each other. Grinding for your teammates, your coaches, everybody, even the fans that can't be there. And you have to start early in the year. That's the difference I see so far between North Carolina and Duke. Duke came out flat in the second half. And as much as I hate to say this, they folded like a tent. They folded. Now they're going to see some more ranked opponents and they can come all the way back and bounce back. Sure. But after what I saw last night, I would love to see it because I want to get to the point where Duke and North Carolina decides the ACC. And that's no disrespect to Virginia. That's no disrespect to Florida State. We don't know how they're going to come out. But as far as I'm concerned, as long as I have been covering the Atlantic Coast Conference, it comes down to the Blue Devils and the Tar Heels to decide the conference unless Virginia pulls a surprise out of their rear end out of nowhere. The X factor is going to be Florida State. So again, my takeaway from the Duke-Michigan State game, flat beginning to the second half, 
cost the Blue Devils. Biggest takeaway from the UNC Stanford game? Well, despite 24 turnovers, they played Stanford tough. Stanford played UNC tough. And the Tar Heels found a way to get it done. They found a way to get it done. Insanity ensues. Did you not get the memo? You're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. <laughs> Can't wait. The Charlotte Hornets report to training camp for the 2020-21 NBA season this week with heightened expectations due to their draft class and their free agency activity. The Hornets were very, very busy. The Rundown Zone, Desmond Johnson, and myself got a chance to talk to a few of the members of the Charlotte Hornets on Tuesday for a, for a variety of subjects. So first things first, I had the opportunity to chat with General Manager Mitch Kupchak and one of the things that I asked him was this. Um, the Hornets announced on Monday that the team will begin the 2020 season without fans in the stands. The Hornets did not participate in the bubble in Orlando, so this will be the first time they play with no fans in the stands. With such a young roster, have you discussed ways to make the court experience more of a normal experience for the players at the Spectrum Center? Well, it won't be normal. Uh, we, we know that. Uh, and, you know, every day, you know, the NBA sends us guidelines and memos, you know, not only about health and safety, but, you know, arena operations. And as we approach, you know, we have two preseason games in our building. You know, as we approach, you know, those games, you know, we'll get more information and we'll come up with a more complete plan as to, you know, what a game will actually look like. Now, having said that, you know, I watched – like most people did all the NBA playoffs and regular season last year in the bubble. And, you know, with the um, backgrounds and the, uh, you know, the neon and the, the play, you know, the, the placards and, you know, you watch football. I, I mean, how much of that's going to be a part of we, what we do? You know, I don't know. But I will say those games, you know, after the initial uh, the initial period of getting used to looking at a game, you know, where the bench players are, are and the coaches are equally dist- you know, um, distanced apart from each other, um, after getting through the period of adjustment, um, the games were just as compelling as they would be as if they were in a building with 18,000 people. Thank you, sir. Next up, the Hornets had a weakness at center going into the offseason. What did head coach James Borrego think about the additions at the position via the draft and free agency? Well, Desmond Johnson posed the question, and this is the answer we got. Hey, Coach. Desmond Johnson here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Uh, one of the positions of need for the Hornets going into the offseason was center. With Cody Zeller on the roster, along with the re-signing of Bismack Biombo and drafting two 6'11 centers in the draft in Dukes, Vernon, Carey, and Kentucky's Nick Richards, how confident do you feel in your center position going into the 2020-2021 season? And how surprised were you to see Carey and Richards still available in the second round for you, two first-team conference selections in the ACC and the SEC? Uh, respectively. Well, I'm sure you like that pick, right? You must have liked that pick. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Tobacco Road. 
Yeah. I'm, I was shy. I, I, I didn't. I thought it was illegal to draft Dukies here at, at, uh, with the with the points. But um, future Mike. Hey, we, we're we're over that. We just want the best player possible, the most talented player. You know, doesn't matter what school they're from. But um, the center position, I feel extremely confident. Uh, there's a number of ways we can go. Uh, Cody fits our our roster as a starter in this league. I felt comfortable with him starting uh, with that first unit. Uh, I imagine a lot of minutes for uh, P.J. Washington at the five a lot, especially where the league is headed, playing a lot more small ball, you know, sliding P.J. to the five, Miles at the four. We're a dynamic, versatile, athletic um, front court with Miles and P.J. together. So I'd expect a lot of those two together. And then the young kids – We'll just figure it out as we go. Again, I, I have not been around them much. Uh, I love their spirit so far. I love their energy. They're going to be like balls of clay to work with. I mean, they, they, they're already in the gym working. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Um, they're just great joys to have in our program already. Which one, you know, accelerates and who, who you know, who can get into the rotation? I don't know yet. I don't have that answer, but I know there's – opportunity there for both of them so i feel extremely comfortable with cody pj at the five and then biz he's a professional Biz is ready to go any single night you know whether he comes in and he starts some nights he comes in off the bench foul trouble uh matchups Biz is a pro and he's ready to go a couple thoughts uh before we go to our final question the hornets playing not playing in front of fans in the spectrum center and they were not a part of the bubble. That was the question I posed to uh, Mitch Kupchak. You heard his answer. It's going to be a little weird for for these guys, for the teams that have not been through the bubble scenario, not playing in front of fans. This is going to throw them off, and I wouldn't be surprised if it throws these young kids off for just a little bit. But given how James Borrego spoke yesterday during the Zoom conference, Mitch Kupchak as well as uh, Gordon Hayward, and you'll hear Gordon Hayward in a moment, I wouldn't be surprised if they adapt very quickly and if they're able to get their juices flowing and start gelling really, really quick because the way I see it, they're going to be a team that will love to get up and down the floor. That's the way the NBA is going. For the center position, the Hornets have a surplus at center. They addressed a need, and they took care of it via the draft and free agency. You just heard um, Coach James Borrego say Bismack Biombo is a professional. He'll be ready to go any night. He will be ready to go. And I expect these Hornets, they're going to come out a little slow, but I expect them to be ready to really, really pick it up with uh, opening night 21 days away. Finally, there was Gordon Hayward. He signed with the Charlotte Hornets in a surprise move when all signs pointed to him wanting to be with the Indiana Pacers. Remember, he played at Butler University, which is in Indiana's capital city, but decided to pull the trigger and come to Charlotte. Desmond Howard, uh, Desmond Johnson, I beg your pardon, posed him this question. Hey, Gordon, Desmond Johnson here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. What were your initial thoughts on Charlotte Hornets owner Michael Jordan? Have you Had you had a conversation or met him before this offseason? 
What made you want to play for Jordan and his franchise over other teams like Indiana that were bidding for your services? Yeah, I mean, I think as I as I mentioned at the very beginning, I, I I'll never forget uh, that first kind of go around when I was a restricted free agent, and I actually came here and visited Charlotte and um, ended up signing an offer sheet that that Michael gave me, um, and you know that that meant a lot to me. So I actually I think I did a video conference with him on that visit and. Anytime you you talk to Michael Jordan, there's a little bit of that starstruck. I mean, I remember watching him growing up. I think I asked him, I think I I asked him back then if Reggie fouled him when he pushed off and hit the shot against them when when Reggie was on the Pacers and in the playoffs there. Um, so I mean, I was, I mean, he's one of the greatest players to ever play, not the greatest player to ever play. So there's there's, you, I think everyone feels that a little bit. So I never forgot that, and so. Um, this second go around, he, he actually mentioned it as well when I talked to him on the phone and then when he had texted me a little bit, um, that he's, he's wanted me for years now. And, um, I think it was something where, you know, the, the more and more conversations that, that we had, that I had with the coaching staff, with, with some of the, um, <clears throat> front office guys, I just, uh, the, the vision that they had, the impact that, that they believe I can have of helping us get to that next level. Like I said, it's, it's very powerful. And, and so, you know, although there were conversations with, with lots of teams for sign and trade opportunities, it was one of those things where, um, you know, my agent was kind of working on those, and it was, and I kind of just told him, let's let's do this thing in Charlotte. Let's just get this done. And get it done, they did. Gordon Hayward signed a four-year deal with the Charlotte Hornets. This is going to be a fun year, especially now with the wild card series being in play. You know, how about that? Um, three of the major sports adopted what uh, adopted a wild card series, the nine and the 10 seed playing for it. And you saw the the return on that concept this past season. Borrego, Kupchak and Hayward. Let me start with with uh, Kupchak. You can hear the excitement. But you can also hear, we still, you can hear him say, we still have work to do. And there is still a lot of work to do for the Hornets. But at the same time, you have a young ball club in which Cupjack is now getting the right pieces to fit what he wants to do, which leads me to James Borrego. Borrego is adapting to the style of the NBA. And that style of the NBA is positionless basketball, transition basketball. Get up and down the floor and shoot a lot of threes. One of the things that's going to give Borrego and the Hornets the advantage is the surplus they have at the center position, which I spoke on um, a moment, a few moments ago. Not one, but two prospects from two major conferences, the ACC and the SEC, land right in their lap. And they can immediately put that to use. Immediately. What's going to be even more fun is seeing these kids develop. Is seeing these guys have fun. Just growing as a team growing as a squad growing together 
growing everything, growing every single way that will take them over the top and get them into the postseason. Now, granted, they're going to have to win an extra game or an extra series to really get into the postseason to be one of the top eight. But doggone it. This is one of the teams that can do it. I've always harked on this team to get back to where they were in the mid-90s when they were winning 50-plus games and had a top seed in the playoffs. Remember 1993 when they uh, beat the Boston Celtics on a game-winning shot and how loud the Charlotte Coliseum was? Imagine the Spectrum Center being that loud. And and Gordon Hayward is one of the players that can do it. There is an injury history with Gordon Hayward that is um, that that is there, and that started in Boston. Now, with a fresh slate, a chance to really be healed and really put a good season together, I think Hayward will be. One of, if not the main reasons that the Charlotte Hornets claim a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Going to be fun to see them put all this together and see if the Hornets will indeed compete for a playoff spot, whether it's the top eight or a wild card spot. Because remember, there are two wild card spots now with them adapting that concept. Take a time out. And when we come back, Connor O'Neill will join me. What in the world is going on at Wake Forest? We'll talk about that and all kinds of other stuff. Back in a flash. Insanity ensues. Did you not get the memo? You're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Can't wait. Connor O'Neill now joins me on the Beamer Tire and Auto Hotline for this Wednesday edition of the show. How are you, my friend? Just trying to keep up. Just <laughs> it's it's the uh, twenty twenty news cycle here. It's, hard at work. It, it's it's the pandemic cycle. Hard at work. Let's get into it. What are the <laughs> latest? <laughs> I, I said that before this. I said that before this morning, and some um, some people were laugh were laughing at me, but they know it's the truth. Also, what are the latest updates from Winston Salem regarding both? Uh, the basketball and the football team. Yeah. So to get the basketball one out of the way, cause that probably takes less time to explain. Um, they're, they're shut down. It was a little vague in the news release. And I haven't really gotten any clarity on how long they're shut down for. It was just phrased that uh, they're shut down this week. So I'm not sure if that means that, you know, they, they announced it on Monday. So to me, that would read that they're not even going to be able to practice until uh, Monday, I think it would be December 7th. So, I mean, that, that nixes the game that they would play on Wednesday against Troy. That nixes uh, what Coach Forbes told us seven and a half hours before the release came that they were trying to schedule a game for Sunday. Um, and, you know, their next scheduled game is December 13th against Presbyterian. That's a Sunday. And then they're scheduled to play their ACC opener against Virginia uh, three days later on the 16th. So I would I would bet money, uh, not that I would encourage such act, but 
if you were if if you were able to find the book, I would think that Coach Forbes would want to add a game uh, mm-hmm. before that December thirteenth game, just to have two of them in there before you you play the preseason league favorite. Um, and then football wise, uh, if you want to shift gears, um, they've had another you know. I, I called it a moving target in something I wrote. Uh, it's, it's a moving target of a schedule for them. It really is. And that means, yeah, that, that just means that uh, Wake doesn't play Notre Dame this season. Um, Notre Dame is guaranteed a spot in the ACC championship game mm-hmm. on the 19th. And so they're not going to play at Wake on the 12th. What the ACC was able to do was bump up the December 19th scheduled game between Wake and Louisville in Louisville uh, that got bumped up a week to December 12th, uh, which kind of helps out Louisville because Louisville was sitting there uh, just played a game last weekend and wasn't going to play a game until December 19th. So they were looking at, you know, something like 20 days between games when you're just sitting around campus uh, Mm -hmm. in the middle of pandemic so that helps Louisville, and then uh, Wake had a game added to the schedule against Florida State in the in the last possible date for the regular season, December nineteenth. Um, you know, Florida State is it's kind of weird because because you look at Wake's schedule and and the schedule they were given by the ACC, and you know it was, it was kind of a detriment for Wake to not play Florida State this season when the schedule originally came out because it's been one of the worst teams in the ACC. I mean. You'd think that you'd you'd want Florida State on the schedule as crazy as it would be to go back like six or seven years ago and and try to tell yourself that then. Right. But uh, but now it works out. Now now Wake gets to play a Florida State team that I mean they seem to have checked out a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure they'll be really checked out by by December nineteenth. Um, and that that should be a good game for Wake. So. You know, Wake goes from having a game against the number two ranked team to having a game against the Florida State team that I think has two wins. So you put them in, put it in that perspective, and it, it looks even better for the Deeks. Yeah, it, it it does. And this has been, I, I love your terminology, a moving target kind of season for Wake Forest, and this has been a pandemic football season, and it's always been illustrated. Is Notre Dame the best football team in the ACC this season? Uh, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm going to say I, I would like to wait until, uh, you know, December 19th around 8 o'clock to answer that question. I think that's a <laughs> 4.30 kickoff. So <laughs> so I'd, I'd prefer to wait a little while to, to answer that. Um, no, but I, I think that... I think that you have to say yes. They dethroned Clemson. They did what nobody in the ACC had done in three years. Um, you know, you can you can go into the players that Clemson was missing in that game. Uh, you can go into it was a double overtime game. It was on the road, but Notre Dame won the game and they made the plays to win the game, and they they deserve to. You know, they're the ones sitting there undefeated, and I'm I'm sure. Clemson is probably going to go into that game in Charlotte, the favorite. And but right now, I, I think you're you're obligated to say that Notre Dame is the best team in the ACC, and and you're you're ready to to change your tune on that, depending on what happens in Charlotte. 
Connor O'Neill joining me here on the program. Follow him on Twitter at Connor O'Neill N-O-O. You're, let, let's go here. Have you had a chance to check out the ACC Big Four in basketball? And if so, are there any players that have stood out to you in the early going? Uh, actually, I, I just got finished watching the Carolina Stanford game, and or, or most of it. I guess, um, you know, I, one of the things I've picked up on Carolina, you know, Caleb Love was the freshman guard that came in with all the fanfare, but I'm, I've honestly been more impressed with RJ Davis. Uh, mm-hmm. he's been the one that looks like more of a natural scorer, uh, more like, looks more like a natural facilitator to me. It's not that Caleb Love has looked bad to me. It's just that RJ, RJ Davis has looked better and that's not the, that's not the preseason line that, that I think a lot of people latched onto. Um, and I stand by what I said about their front court. I mean, that, that front court, they just go four deep. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's Dayron Sharp is the, is the big freshman. I mean, he looks like a load already. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think the world of Garrison Brooks, like I think Garrison Brooks is most, one of the most talented players in the NPC. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to watch Duke. I mean, they Duke played that one game against Hoppin and I missed it. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Uh, you know, NC State. I I kind of I don't know that my tune has really changed on them. Uh, De- I know Devin Daniels had a huge game in the first game for them. Yeah. Um, they 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 just seem like a typical Kevin Keats team. I mean, this is his I think third season. He's been able to put his blueprint on the program. Now he's got all of kind of his type of guys to run his system that was so effective at UNCW that, that I think you, you're going to see them play his brand of basketball. And sometimes it's going to get them beat. Uh, sometimes they're, they're going to be ice cold, but, but most of the time they're going to be able to run with teams and lock you down defensively. Um, as far as Wake, uh, I was really impressed with the two grad transfers that stepped up in their game against Longwood. Um, when they really needed a bucket, it was, Ian Dubose, the Houston Baptist transfer, who had 19 a game last year for and, and won the Southland Conference Player of the Year. When they needed a bucket, he he went and got him. He was assertive. He he took command of the offense and, and got some tough buckets inside and then hit a three that was um, basically from Kernersville. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Johnny Antonio is, is the other one. Uh, he's a lights out three-point shooter i think he's shooting better than 50 percent this year in the first two games and his release is a little unorthodox but it's quick and it works and when it's quick and it works you can get away with unorthodox if if you're a college three-point shooter back to carolina there's a big that Um, has caught my attention and his name is armando baycott give me your thought give me your early thoughts on him yeah, I, I think you don't need him to be a scoring threat with, with all the other firepower you have. I think anything he gives you offensively is, is going to be a, a positive and a bonus. I think the main key is for him to be a defensive rim protector because that's not Garrison Brooks's forte. And right. if those are going to be the two bigs that Roy rolls with, um, you're going to need one of them to, to be in there guarding the rim. And I think that's Baycott's. Uh, most valuable asset that, that he can fill or most, most valuable role he can fill. 
Um, I thought, you know, he he kind of he came in with a lot of hype last year, and and like just everybody on that team last year, underachieved. But you know, sometimes that's fine if you're a freshman at a blue blood school, and and you can press the reset button in the in the off season and the preseason, and come in kind of refocused. And and I think that's what you're seeing early on with him. What are your thoughts on a potential ACC conference bubble in a place like Greensboro? Is this ideal? My backup question to that is, is this the only way to finish a conference season with 16 teams? Yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, to do that, you've got to basically do what we've already done in, in this college athletics year. And that, what I mean by that is you've got to admit that the term student athlete is just a sham. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if you're basically going to host 15 college teams with, you know, 13 to 18 student athletes per team and have them sit in Greensboro for two months, uh, I guess taking online classes, uh, I just, I think that we, we, we need to, to just sever the ties with the term student athlete. I mean, these guys are basketball players, football players, or football players, all that, all that kind of thing with their respective sports. It's just, it's, it's a money making venture. College sports is, is about money. It's mm-hmm. been about money for a long time. And it's, it's time we start admitting that, uh, and, and getting people to realize that. I think, you know, a lot of people do, but I, I think that we need to just completely, erase the term student athlete uh, if if that's going to be the case if we're going to you know have upwards from 150 to or no it would be like 200 250 uh alleged student athletes just roll over to greensboro for the entire semester yeah and they it's just so much to to unpack with that one final question your thoughts on trevor lawrence saying goodbye to clemson after Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been his conference for the better part of three years. Uh, you know, it's, you can have regrets. And I think I saw Dabo today saying that if they wanted him to win the Heisman, then he would win the Heisman. Uh, and that's definitely, I saw a stat the other day that was like, He's played in 17 of 30 fourth quarters in his career or something, something insane yeah. uh, along the percentage of like just, just more than half. And it's, you know, I, I can't help but root for the guy. He seems like a really down to earth kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not out there flashy on social media. He's not, you know, he's not the one running up the score. If you can even levy the charge against Clemson that they run up the score on people, he's not the one doing it. Nope. So he's, he's really a kid that you, you can't help but root for, I think. Connor O'Neill joining me as he does each and every week, talking all things ACC. Follow him on Twitter at Connor O'Neill N O O. Always a pleasure, my friend. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Brian. Insanity ensues. Did you not get the memo? You're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Can't wait. We keep the party going with Ed Smith, NFL veteran and host of the Believe in Cardinals podcast. You can find him online at Ed Smith Speaks. What's going on, Ed? 
Just, I can't believe it's already December, man. Christmas right in front of us, and the finishing NFL season is upon us as well, man. We got this little, this little death to the end. What is going on with the Ravens and the Steelers? What? Man, tell me something, please. <laughs> tell me something. T- I, tell I me something, please, what? because I don't get this. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what the NFL is thinking right now, Desmond. And think about this too. You actually forced me. Let's even talk about the Broncos. You forced the team <laughs> to play a game without an NFL quarterback. Yes, that was. I mean, if that was. I mean, if that wasn't the biggest, what the heck are they doing? And then, like you said, with this uh, Ravens uh, Steelers game, what are they going to do? Push it to Friday and then have them play on Monday or Tuesday the following week? It's just crazy, man. It, look. I put a post on my show page, Snowman in the Morning, and on my, my social media, and I said, it's delaying the inevitable as far as the Ravens go. And my friend saw said post and said, what are you talking about? I hate to say this about the Ravens, a team that was 14-2 and two last year, but considering how the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing, the Ravens are going to get pulverized. Again, yeah, and 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 think, I mean, every day they add another player to the list mm-hmm. of you know players that are coming down with it. My son keeps joking with me. He said if they keep pushing the game back, by the time they play it, um, Lamar Jackson is going to be eligible to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> like just yeah, this just keep pushing it back, 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 and eventually. You know, but the problem is it might be like December twelfth or thirteenth by the time anybody's eligible to play. But yet they're gonna they're gonna force them to do it. And, and like you said, the inevitable is is right there in front of you, man. I don't know mm-hmm. what they're gonna do with this. And the inevitable is, and I I'm gonna make a lot of Ravens fans mad when they look at when they look at this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But they're gonna get pulverized. And the biggest problem with that, let's stay there for a moment. The biggest problem with that, and I've told some Ravens fans this off the air. Now I'm going to say it with a guest with me on the air. One of the biggest (laughs) problems is Lamar Jackson. He has stunt, his growth has been stunted as a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, you know, and, you know, I'll take it even a step further, you know, I have no skin invested in the Baltimore uh, Ravens other than at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. the fantasy football. If I couldn't get um, uh, Mahomes, because he's always my first pick. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, my fallback, I'm going to get Lamar Jackson, right? It has been the biggest disappointment. Yep. And you, you said it. He is so, his growth has been stunted. And like the progression that you see from a Mahomes and some of these. Even other first-year quarterback, yep. you know, your Herberts out in, in uh, L.A. and uh, uh, before he got hurt, Burrow in Cincinnati. You, this is your, you know, he's already been an MVP quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yet he looks like he's going in the opposite direction. He, he, he's not, he doesn't look like if you take his running game away from him, they and which our teams are basically forcing him to try to throw the ball now. He can't do it, and it mm-hmm. looks pathetic. It doesn't even look like. They prepare each week for a, a, a throwing plan. It's like we're going to get him out there. He's going to run, and 
when he doesn't run, we'll get those 10 or 15 passes in and everything's going to look good. But when they shut that down, man, it looks, like you said, he looks stunted. He looks like he's not making any advances in terms of how to be an NFL quarterback. I will mention a name that will draw a lot of fire, but when I made this comparison, people finally understood why I brought this name up. Matter of fact, I'll give you two of them. Played in the same year. Colin Kaepernick is one. RG3 is the other. If you And I'll give you a third one. Vince Young. What do Lamar Jackson, Vince Young, Colin Kaepernick, and RG3 all have in common? It is this. When their running ability is taken away by a defense that is keyed in on it, simply put, they can't throw the football. It looks yeah. It looks odd coming out of their hands. And not only that, they try to force the ball down the field to try to beat the defense that's teeing off on them. And they're not. But not to say they shouldn't be regular pocket passers. I mean, use your gifts and use your ability. Don't get me wrong, but you have to you you have to grow as a quarterback. And the four names that I've mentioned to you, Lamar Jackson included, have not. And that all comes, you know, for me, Desmond, that all comes down to coaching too. I mean. You know, and, and maybe they just don't have the or didn't have the proper people in place to kind of tutor them. But another thing that and even with Kaepernick, and I think Vince was probably a little better at this portion of the game, and Lamar is definitely having this issue for me. They never learned that everything doesn't have to be a fastball. Right. You know, there's, there's something called touch. There's something called, you know, placement of the ball. You, they, you, with Kaepernick especially, it was almost like he had one speed, one speed only, and he was going to throw it through a wall to get it to you and never develop that other portion of the game. And I see that a lot with Lamar, too. Some of his passes, everything's the same speed. And then you look at somebody like a Russell Wilson and a Mahomes, who they've got those nice, soft touches sometimes. And that all comes with learning how to play the position. It's not all about just running. And then when you, got it, gas it up, and, you know, get it to them as fast as possible. And like I said, that for me is part of evidence that those guys just either they're not, not soaking it up or somebody's not giving it to them the way they should be getting it. And it's been that problem for a while. And with Lamar Jackson, he and Colin Kaepernick share a common denominator. His name's Greg Roman, the current offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Roman is one of the reasons why the 49ers didn't get the Super Bowl done because, as you said, Colin Kaepernick only knows one speed to throw the football, and that's a fastball because he was a pitcher once upon a time. Lamar Jackson, same thing. They only know one speed. But if you look at Mahomes and if you look at Wilson and if you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Ben Roethlisberger, they have a lot of touch on their game. And I'll stay with Mahomes for a moment. The other element that Mahomes adds arm angles because you don't know if he's yeah. going to come over the top you don't know if he's going to come three quarters you don't know if he gets flushed out of the pocket where he's going to drop sidearm like dan quisenberry and throw it that way that has impressed me the most about mahomes and it hasn't impressed me about lamar jackson because jackson hasn't picked it up let me pose a question to you um ed and i i've had this question posed to me what did Lamar Jackson do to get 
a unanimous MVP award that Patrick Mahomes hasn't already done? That's a great question. I, you know, sometimes, man, it's, I think the, the overall, what were they last year? 14 and 2? Yep. I think. So it's the record. And it's, it's kind of one of those, if, if, if you did the simple definition of most valuable player, then every year we probably have somebody different than who actually wins it. Mm-hmm. But because of the stats, because of the overall record, well, he's got to be the MVP because they're 14 and two, and that's right. only 13 and three, you know, and, and it gets lost in that, in that kind of sense sometimes. And so, and then the crazy part is once they give it to you, then they're never, I guess, bound to give it to you again because they've already, you know, it's like, well, we got to move on. We got to get to the next guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like a lot of it just comes down to stats and team record and popularity, you know, because he's got to be the guy this year. But, you know, I, I looking back, man, you look at the mature, the, the maturation of Mahomes, what doesn't he have in his pool bag? Absolutely. You know, and then you look in comparison to Lamar Jackson, it's like, man, he's still got a long way to go before he ever gets to that level where Mahomes is. And they're, I mean, they're basically, uh, you know, around the same age and same number of years in the league. But I'm telling you, man, it's a, it's a difference of night and day when you look at their quarterback play and development. Are the Chiefs still the team to beat in the AFC or can Pittsburgh give them problems? Because, you know, you want to think that there's another team besides Pittsburgh that can compete with Kansas City. I hate to say this, but at this juncture of the season, I just don't see it. The only thing that, in my opinion, the only thing that can stop Kansas City is Kansas City sometimes. They either <laughs> play down to their competition sometimes yep. or they get those lulls because, you, it, man, they score so easy sometimes. And it's like, it's almost like playing Madden with them, you know? Look at and Sunday. Then you look up, like even the other day against Tampa Bay, there is no reason, Desmond, that Tampa Bay should have still been in that game <laughs> after that first half that they put up. It was like a joke. I was like, they're going to win this game like 40 to nothing. And then you look around, it was only a three-point game at the end because they almost, like, they get complacent. I don't know what it is. But in my opinion, Kansas City is playing against themselves the rest of this year. As long as they do everything they're supposed to do. And I'm Pittsburgh could give them a run. But I just think when you look at the amount of weapons they have and the creativity, you know, Andy Reid and uh, the, the offensive court that everybody puts together, man, they just look tough to beat so we'll see uh, you know um, and I gotta get the enemy his props I mean he's yep he, I'm not, I don't know how that dude does not have a head coaching job after all these years but you know I mean Kansas City man like I said if they if they aren't the team to beat like I said Kansas City is the team to beat but <laughs> I mean that literally let's stay here let's let's stay with the enemy because there are going to be at least two coaching there are going to be at least three coaching spots open and everybody wants to see Bienemy get a head coaching job. And I'm like, wait a minute. If he is in a situation where all he has to do is tell Patrick Mahomes in the offense, go do what you do. And he loves where he is right now with the players that he has mm-hmm. and the coach that he's working for then my question is, why the hell would he leave? There's a great mind think alike, man. 
Here's the thing, and I swear I was thinking about this the other day because I was like, you know, when I was watching the game and they are always talking about he's the next dying star, you know, in right. line. I think, think of this scenario. Look at this scenario. He's there with Mahomes, Kelsey, <laughs> uh, you know, the, you run down the list, right? Now, all of a sudden, just because you're supposed to take a head coaching job, you got to take the Jets or Jaguars or something like that. Mm-hmm. Why would you suggest subject yourself to that? Why reality, would you? Thank you. My, I'm just like you. I'm like, stay where you are. Continue to mentor under Andy Reid. Eventually, Andy's going to move on. It's time for him to, you know, hit the dusty trail. And then you take that over. Why? Yep. Just because you're supposed to be a head coach. Now you got to go take that crappy job. And what happens to all of them? Desmond, after three or four years at that crappy job, what happens? They all get fired and go back to be a coordinators or take another crappy job yep. after that. Right? Absolutely. So I'm, t- I'm in total, total agreement with you, bro. Because – Let's think about it, and let's bring everything into play. Because we both know, as football minds, both as football minds, we both know there are two reasons why everyone wants Eric Bieniemy to have a job. I'm only I'm only going to say one of them because the <laughs> NFL needs more black coaches. Yep. So if you play that narrative, and let's say Bianami does take the take the Detroit head coaching job, which I'm praying he doesn't, that organization, just like the New York Jets, just like the Jacksonville Jaguars, and in many ways, just like my hometown Chicago Bears, are set up to fail. And when they Thank fail, you. who's the first person that's on the hot seat? The head coach. Give an example. Doug Peterson of the Eagles. After that debacle on Monday night. Okay? So if Beanie does take... Yep. If Beanie does take a head coaching job with an organization that has no idea what the hell they're doing and they fail in two or three years, that wouldn't ruin the organization. That would ruin Beanie. In a flash, it would ruin him. him. Look what the Jets did to Bowles. I mean, I'm not going to say, I mean, he went there and tried to do the best he could, but, I mean, he was like, you used the exact proper term, set up for failure. Yep. And what happens is, with these jobs, there's only 32 of them, right? Yep. So when when you go and you put up that type of performance, what's the first thing that you start talking about? Well, he just wasn't ready. He'll probably never, never get another shot. Bingo. You know? So why would you want to go somewhere where you got to go? It's like going to the casino and you sit down, and the very first thing they tell you is how much you got in your pocket. Put it all on the table. You're going to blow your wad in one, in one you know, shot. In one shot. cards, and that's just not, that's just not fair. Not it's fair. not. It, it, <laughs> it really isn't. One more thing before we get out of here. I said something at the top of the season on a very dear friend's show because he asked me about Cam Newton and his signing with the New England Patriots. And he also asked me, is this going to revive Cam Newton's career? My next four words were the following. Cam Newton is finished. Here we are heading into week 13. 
I repeat the four words I said <laughs> in August. Cam Newton is finished. Well, for me, I, I'm right there with you. I'm, I was I had such high expectations for him yep. coming in because I thought if anybody could utilize his talents, it would be that coaching staff, you know, offensive coordinator, everybody included. What I'm seeing now, uh, Desmond, is I th- you know, originally I thought, well, he was just in a bad situation down there in uh, uh, Charlotte. Now I'm looking at his skills have just Period. They've been and part of it is from injury. Yep. I mean, he looks pathetic. And then here's a it's coming from somebody I've had three shoulder reconstructions. Yep. I'm not an NFL quarterback. So I can right. only imagine you look at him, he looks so tight in that shoulder and nothing looks fluid. Uh, you take away the fact that he's not the big bruiser he used to be, you know, nope. fast and you can't use that portion of the game. Now, man, you talk about Superman is walking around with kryptonite in his pockets. You don't even have yep. to throw it in him anymore. He walk around with the stuff in his pockets, yes. and he's got nothing left in the tank, and I just look at him, and I'm like, and you hate to see athletes like him fall off the cliff that fast, but you can tell, man, it's just not it's not there anymore. I will say this about, about Cam Newton. I got a couple other names to throw at you. Cam Newton has not been right, and a lot of it is due to the injury. Don't get it twisted. A lot of it is due to the injury. I'll give you that. But at the same time, Cam Newton hasn't been right physically or mentally since Super Bowl 50. When he had a chance, he and the Panthers had a chance. Let's just be real. He and the Panthers had a chance to make some history for Carolina and bring home a Super Bowl trophy. And that defense was balling out the entire game. One reason Carolina didn't get it done. Cam Newton folded under the pressure. Period. Yeah, yeah. The bright lights scare some of them. Yeah, yep. the crazy part, Desmond. Like you would never think because he's so boisterous, because he's so you know, everything is look at me and you know, the the, the post game outfits and everything like that. Sometimes that type of stuff is used to hide the fact that, man, maybe I'm not as really as confident and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, everybody thinks I am. But if I walk around beating my chest and doing this and doing that, they'll think, I, you know, I'm like the most confident person in the world. And I can handle anything. But when the lights actually shine, you shrink up. And I think that was kind of that. That was my big takeaway for the last, especially the last couple of few years with him. Is like you said, he folded under that, but then he still continued to beat his chest. And I've always thought that you know when you're yep. that kind of outspoken and everything else is you're trying to hide something i just don't think he's as you know he's not that he's not as brady as we would like to think he is and when newton came out of auburn he had uh, keyword in that sentence had a rocket arm he had a rocket arm when he came out of auburn the yeah. first time he had a significant injury the arm quality started going down. Yeah, he's. I mean, when I when I tell you, man, I know, and I speak from experience. I remember after my first reconstruction, I was still playing baseball at the time. You know, third base, I kind of got back into that following season, playing a lot of first and DH and stuff like that. But 
once I was returned to, you know, my everyday third base, you know, kind of uh, rotation, I never felt the same. And I always felt like I lost a little bit yep. of juice in the arm. And I started, what I started doing, I was more, you know, I set a, 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 a slightly above average arm, but I used quickness to get the ball across. You know, I was no longer, you know, pat, pat, glove, and so off the rocket arm. It was, you know, grab, uh, get them feet right, get it out the hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Cam, he, he just looks like he's still, in his mind, he still thinks he has the rocket. Yep. And now, when he, like, some of those balls he throws, like, to the sideline, I mean, it's almost like he's telegraphing it because the the motion it takes to get it out there, and then it comes out sputtering. It's like you can tell it's just not there, but in his mind, he still thinks he has it. That's one, the biggest problem, I think. One more subject, and then we have we have to get out of here. We got about 120 seconds left. Another quarterback who I think is finished. The name has been said before: Tom Brady. This time, you're seeing it. Yeah, I, I think they're not utilizing him to the best of his skill set at the end of his career here, and it's really showing too many deep balls, too many deep drops too. And he's starting to, if you notice, he's starting to get them pitter patter feet too. Yeah, you can get a rush on him. He's no longer calm, calm. He's you can see, man. He's starting to look, look, look. Hey, I gotta get rid of this. Yep. A lot of balls ended up at the feet of people nowadays, huh? Mm-hmm. And. That and, and that's it. That's been going on for a while. This is what people don't get. That's yeah. been going on. That's been going on for a while. I'm going to speak more on that tomorrow. But we got to get out of here now. So let me thank everybody for tuning in. Let me thank my guest Ed Smith for joining me, the host of the Believe in Cardinal Believe in the Cardinals podcast, talking all things NFL. And we better see some football today. I'm tired of waiting to see the Steelers beat up the Ravens. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate the time. Hey, anytime, brother. Have a great week, pal. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it like that, but I'm I'm being serious. This is my final word before we get out of here. And thank you to both my guests, Connor O'Neill, as well as Ed Smith. It goes like this. The Ravens are going to get pulverized unless... Lamar Jackson has an arm, and I'm talking about accuracy. I'm talking about fitting the ball in tight spots and throwing more than a fastball, as you heard Ed just say. Now I got to break out of here. Until tomorrow, have a great day. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move, and always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. I am, and I hope you all are too. Snowman's out of here. You've been listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Do you believe it? Are you kidding me? I think I just broke my chair. For more information, log on to snowmandigitalmedia.com or download this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Can't wait.